DPP presidential candidate Lai Qingde has outlined his plan to preserve cross-street peace. In a Wall Street Journal op-ed, he proposed his four pillars of peace, which is enhancing deterrence, strengthening economic security, deepening democratic partnerships, and maintaining steady and principled cross-street relationship leadership. The current vice president said that as president, he would support the cross-street status quo. He said he would never rule out the possibility of dialogue with China so long as it's not without preconditions and based on the principles of reciprocity and dignity. This is how analysts responded. He very clearly articulated the four pillars of peace. I think that by doing so, he's turned slogans into a set of clear specific actions relative to the other presidential candidates. We can see Lai Qingde at an elevated position with regard to his foreign and cross-strait policies. He's showing the world that as president, his policies would not be rash. Currently, there is no cross-strait engagement, and he has placed the blame for that on China because it's China that set the precondition of the so-called One China Principle. Lai's op-ed lets the international community, as well as the Taiwanese people, gain a clearer understanding of the situation and to not be swayed by disinformation or false perceptions created by the smear campaigns of opposition parties. The scholar said Lai made clear he had what it takes to lead the country. By communicating his plans for managing cross-strait relations, Lai also showed the world Taiwan's resolve to maintain peace and stability. On Wednesday, Vice President Lai attended a recognition ceremony for borough chiefs, village heads and other community leaders from across Taiwan. In a reference to his training as a doctor, Lai compared the community leaders to healthy human cells. He said that just as human cells allow the body to thrive, good community leaders allow a nation's policies to succeed. At a ceremony honoring exemplary local officials, Vice President Lai Qingde used the analogy of the human cell to highlight the importance of local leadership. In medicine, the fundamental unit of the human body is the cell. If the cell is healthy, the person will naturally be healthy too. In the country's political organization, borough chiefs and villages are the foundation, just like cells are to the human body. As long as borough chiefs and villages do well and govern effectively, then executing the country's policies will be smooth sailing too. Lai credited the outstanding local leaders with the success of government initiatives. He named the many tasks they undertake. When the members of the public face difficulties, the first call they make is to their borough chiefs and village heads. Local leaders play the key role during the COVID-19 pandemic. When a typhoon strikes and calls for an evacuation, again, it's these local heads who conduct evacuation drills every year without fail. A third thing I deeply appreciate echoes what the interior minister just mentioned, which is their care for the less privileged. In his remarks, Lai also called on local leaders to support the government's long-term care plan 2.0. Institutional long-term care workers cost around 30,000 NT, or more than 32,000 NT a month. 
Basically, it's already much more affordable than before 2016. I understand that when local governments roll out long-term care plan 2.0, it's often the borough chiefs who take on the bulk of the work, along with elected representatives and the executive yuan. So I'm taking this opportunity to express my gratitude to you all. As a presidential candidate, Lai is seizing every opportunity to garner support from the grassroots. Turning now to the opposition candidates, the KMT's Ho Yo Yi and Ke Wen Zhe of the Taiwan People's Party attended the same temple celebration on Wednesday. The two rivals didn't miss the chance to cross swords. Speaking at the event, Ke blasted Ho for wanting to shorten the military conscription period to four months. In response, Ho said he was being deliberately misunderstood by critics who were playing dumb. Arriving at Jinan Temple, the KMT's Ho Yo Yi meets cheers from supporters. Ho came to pay homage to the temple's Fuyo Emperor deity. His election rival Ko Wenzhou showed up earlier in the day. In an apparent effort to prevent embarrassment, temple officials scheduled separate arrival times for the two candidates. They also arranged for a guest to be seated between them. After giving his speech, Ke made a quick exit without engaging with Ho offstage. But he did spare a moment to criticize Ho for proposing a shorter conscription period of four months. Especially when it comes to defense policy, you can't just put something out there to test the waters. This is the direction of national defense strategy that we're talking about. It's not a matter you toss to the wind for a day or two. I don't think that's the way to go about it. At this moment in time, I support the extended one-year military conscription period. If elected president, I will establish a mechanism promoting dialogue and mutual trust. After cross-strait relations are stable, then we can consider reinstating the four-month term. Currently, there are people deliberately distorting and misunderstanding my remarks. Ho stressed that his proposal was conditional, and he accused his critics of conveniently playing dumb. The fight for dominance continues in the opposition, with neither Ho nor Ke showing signs of retreat. Punchers are landing in the bruising battle, all without help from the DPP. Taiwan's electricity use has posted negative growth for the first time in 10 years. This may sound like good news to some, but declining power use is seen as a reflection of slowing economic growth. Last month, the central bank cut its GDP forecast to below 2%, citing weak exports and a sluggish global economy. According to Thai Power, Taiwan used 89 billion kilowatt hours of electricity in the first five months of the year. That's a 2.7 percent reduction compared to last year. Industrial electricity use fell by 4.5 percent year on year. Although semiconductor companies did not cut back on usage, the growth rate of consumption tapered off. Experts project that power use will remain flat throughout July and August. They expect a rebound only after September when export orders are set to pick up after inventory corrections. Indoor surveillance cameras have grown in popularity in recent years. Some people install them at home to keep track of vulnerable members of the household, such as children, older relatives, or even pets. But the growth of the industry has brought reports of criminal abuses of privacy. Many cheap cameras offer no privacy whatsoever, and the footage is available directly to the manufacturer of the camera. 
Other cameras may promise security but are liable to abuse by unscrupulous companies. We spoke to an expert to find out where the risks lie and how to protect your privacy if you decide to install a camera at home. This small surveillance camera costs less than 1,000 NT. It connects to Wi-Fi and can be controlled remotely with a smartphone. People buy them to watch over pets, children, or older relatives at home. CCTV expert He Yanshu says that real-time surveillance cameras like these send their footage to the server of the manufacturer and then onto the user's phone. They offer no privacy whatsoever. It's sent straight from this machine to the manufacturer's server, and then we connect and bring it down from the server to watch it. So there's absolutely no privacy to speak of at all. If you want to be sure that your footage isn't leaked, you need to choose a camera with its own server and IP address. You set your own fixed IP address and then connect your phone to the server. It will set up some back-end firewalls and antivirus software to keep out unwanted hackers and attacks. But some users report experiences where a malicious company sets up the camera and then copies the IP address so they can steal the footage anyway. The manufacturer set it up secretly, and he could see my cloud data. I told him the quality of the footage was bad. He said to me, I looked at it on my phone and it was fine, very clear. And that's when I realized that my cloud data had been secretly copied. This involves the personal ethics of the manufacturer because it's about the personal data of the customer. He suggests that apart from demanding your manufacturer wipe their records of your IP address after it's created, you should also set up a new password before using the camera for a double layer of privacy protection. In this age of cheap shopping and disposable goods, repairing broken items is a rare skill. Today, we meet one tea shop owner whose mission is to lovingly repair broken ceramics. Gu Yiping taught himself how to mend porcelain and pottery with lacquer and metal. After many years of gradually developing his trade, he is known across Taiwan as one of the best in the industry. Let's visit his workshop in Xinju's Beipu Township to see how it's done. Many people will throw away a porcelain bowl as soon as it's broken, but for Beipu teaware expert Gu Yiping, it's the start of a repair job. He applies layers of raw lacquer to the crack and then secures the men with an adhesive tape. When the lacquer is dry, he drills in a nail and files it down. This is how ceramics and pottery are mended with metal. It will take about a year to complete this bowl, for instance. This break will need at least 10 layers of lacquer. The pots and cups in this tea shop are not new. They're all unique and bear the signs of Gu's repair work. This was cracked by accident. I thought, how strange, it's a shame to throw away such a nice bamboo item. When materials were scarcer, repair skills were highly valued. But in this era of cheap goods and garbage, the time and expertise it takes to repair items is in short supply. Gu looks up suitable repair materials and methods, investing great time and attention in each job. For him, material goods are something to cherish. A current age is an age of materialism. In ancient times, firing a bull was an extremely difficult thing. 
His rarefied skills attract customers who share his desire to cherish objects fully, but one repair job can take up to a year. Sometimes the customer has forgotten the project by the time their item is returned. They're very shocked when I tell them it's ready. Oh, I see. I was getting something repaired. The cracks in these goods reveal the history of their use, while Gu's repair work is an investment in their future and a vote of confidence in the ways they'll be used again. Even with tensions rising across the strait, Taiwan's intelligence chief believes that a Chinese attack is not imminent, saying that the PLA is not yet capable of a full-scale invasion. On a political talk show, National Security Bureau head Tsai Mingyan said China is using cognitive warfare to create fear of an impending war. Tsai said that for China, the cost of launching a war would be extremely high and that a full-scale landing operation would not be easy. He also said Taiwan would not surrender quickly to a missile attack or naval blockade. Although Xi Jinping wants the PLA to be able to seize Taiwan by 2027, it does not mean there's an immediate threat, Tsai said. Once a war begins, foreign relations will deteriorate and what happens next may not play out as Beijing expects. Tsai cited the example of the Russia-Ukraine war. Moscow had hoped to conquer Ukraine in 10 days, yet the war is still ongoing after more than a year. The Industrial Technology Research Institute, or ITRI, celebrated its 50th birthday on Wednesday. The anniversary event was attended by President Tsai Ing-wen, Economics Minister Wang Meihua, TSMC founder Morris Chang, as well as presidents and chairpersons past and present. Chang has served ITRI for nearly a decade. He also shares his July birthday with the Institute. At the event, he received a trophy from President Tsai in honor of his contributions to Taiwan's chip sector. Yitri's 50th anniversary celebration saw the reunion of its former chairpersons and presidents. Not only that, President Tsai Ing-wen gave an address. She also presented trophies to thank Yitri for supporting Taiwan's industrial development. Each era has its own challenges, and at every critical juncture, Yitri has played a very important role. I hope that Yitri will continue to stay at the forefront of the times, helping Taiwan to capture opportunities and strengthen its global competitiveness. Having served Yitri for nearly a decade, 91-year-old TSMC founder Morris Cheng also joined the event. At the 50th anniversary celebration, Yitri laid out its vision for the future. We want to respond to market demands not only through technology innovation but also value innovation. We have drawn up a 2035 technology strategy and roadmap that focuses on four areas smart living, quality health, sustainable environment, and resilient society. On the same day, Itri opened a museum showcasing the archives of the institution. Itri, which gave birth to tech giants like TSMC, UMC and Vanguard International Semiconductor Corporation, said it would continue to lead Taiwan's industrial growth toward innovative value creation. Strange and perplexing road markings are a common sight on Taiwan's roads, from zebra crossings with concessions for scooters to red lines that wiggle around random obstacles 
Pedestrians must be blasé about idiosyncratic visual cues. But some people say enough is enough, and they're calling for road markings that are in line with international standards. Among them is NPP lawmaker Chen Jiaohua. She thinks a major problem lies with the schooling for traffic officials. It doesn't require officials to learn the rules of road markings, and that must change, Chen says. The zebra crossing here has a chunk cut out of it. A third of the space is given over to a waiting zone for scooter riders. If the scooters spill out of that space, pedestrians must make a long cut across the road. It doesn't have much space. There'll be a clash. I was walking over it, and I thought the scooter was going to crash into us. Why are Taiwan's roads so chaotic? NPP lawmaker Chen Jiaohua highlights one factor. The National Traffic Officials Exam doesn't require aspiring officials to learn how to design road markings. There are a few people who know how to paint the markings. It's not a priority in the schools. They don't teach it at departments of traffic science or even in the national exam. That means many officials and traffic bureaus might not even know. If roads are marked properly, then actually traffic incidents can be avoided. The main school of traffic management in Taiwan is controlling traffic through signal lights. As Chen explains, many officials in central and local government, as well as consultants, don't really understand road markings. Some regard them with significant disdain as mere paintwork. The exam mostly asks for small essays. Some people are saying it should test people on drawing diagrams, give the student a junction, and get them to draw some markings to show how to manage it. If they can't draw the markings, then it's very hard to define how the flow of traffic should work on the road. Taiwan has a notorious reputation as a hell for pedestrians. To turn over a new leaf, tougher punishments for bad driving are needed, as well as an overhaul of issues in road markings and an upgrade of the entire system in line with international advancements. A rice ball maker in Taidong has an unusual approach to business. Yujie may move to Taidong to open a rice ball stall to get out of the smog of the big city and escape the digital career that was damaging his health. Now his stall is a perfect snack spot for neighbors. It's so popular that he often packs up before his opening hours end. That can lead to disappointed customers. But he has an enigmatic system to let neighbors know from far and wide that the rations are all gone for the day. Triangular rice balls sizzle in the deep fryer. The stall owner is flipping them over constantly until both sides have a crispy golden skin. Then he lifts them up and sprinkles on some flavorings. The little stall has been running here in front of this house for four years. It's a must-visit among locals. The owner, Yu Jie, comes from Kaohsiung. He moved to Taidong with his child to escape the big city. It was all about health problems. One is my child has respiratory allergies. Another is my eye. So that's why we decided to move here. And I switched into a different lane, not staring at screens anymore. 
The owner previously worked in bridal photography in Kaohsiung, but during a health checkup, a doctor told him that continuing his line of work could lead to macular degeneration. Meanwhile, his child was frequently getting allergic reactions to the air pollution of the city, so he decided to quit his job, move to Taidong, and open a rice ball stall. At first, he just made cold rice balls, but he kept on improving them over two years and gained a loyal clientele. Sometimes he's so busy that he sells out before the day is over. He doesn't want customers to come down to the stall and be disappointed, so he came up with this signaling system. We haven't put up a sign. 70 to 80 percent of our customers local. When the neighbors look from far off, if they can see the red chair, that means there's rice balls left. If they look from far off and see I've put the chair away, that means they needn't come down anymore. This giant red camping chair initially served as a temporary stall sign. Now it's become a popular spot for taking selfies and an attraction for customers. As long as the red chair is out, there's enough for everyone.